Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What is a companion video? Well, I'm often glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campy Show, Monday through Friday, in the second half of the show, we just set aside to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get caught up on all the live comments or questions that get sent in, but you did send in those questions, so I want to make sure they get addressed properly in a video, so we gather up those unused questions and we address them here in companion videos. It is Christmas Eve. This is at least being recorded on Christmas Eve. Uh, tomorrow will be Christmas. Maybe you're watching this on Christmas, but either way, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. May you guys be having a wonderful holiday season wherever you are and whoever you're with. I hope you guys uh, have been able to make the best of this year, and I hope for a better year for all of us coming up in 2021. And we do have a bunch of things coming up on the YouTube channel. Uh, obviously, we're not going to have a live John Campia show on uh, Christmas Day. We didn't have one on Christmas Eve. Uh, we're not going to have any live shows um, on Saturday, but on Sunday, we will be doing a live open spoiler discussion of Wonder Woman. That's right. Wonder Woman, we're going to be doing a live open discussion uh, that actually might, we might do it Saturday, depending on how many people actually rush out and watch it tomorrow. Of course, it comes out tomorrow on HBO Max. So maybe we'll do it Saturday. Maybe we'll do it Sunday. No, keep your eye on your social media and on my social media feeds and on the uh, community tab on the YouTube channel uh, for which day we'll do that on. And then we, of course, the John Campus Show returns on Monday uh, with me and Rob. And then before the 31st, we're going to be doing a live, special live stream, either Tuesday or Wednesday evening, talking about our most anticipated movies coming up in 2021. So a lot of things coming up here on the channel. And anyway, we're awfully glad that you're here with us today, guys. So let's not waste any more time and get right into the questions that we have to get caught up on. We're going to start things off here with Rebel Pilot, who writes, Regarding Bo-Katan and the Darksaber, uh, maybe since Sabine gave it to her the first time and did not win it by combat, that some of the clans did not recognize who, her rule. Uh, also, you mentioned the High Republic era being 500 years before the Phantom Menace, but it's 200 to 50 years. Actually, it's technically 300 to 82 years before but the thing is when they first mentioned high republic era they were talking like 800 years before and then somewhere along the way they decided to change their mind and say it's 300 years to like 82 or 83 years before we get caught up in the movie so eh whatever they're making it up as they go along well let's keep our eyes on now as far as the mando thing with uh the dark saber and bo-katan everybody is rushing to make up excuses Everybody's trying to come up with an excuse for why they broke the canon of the shows. Because in Rebels, you know, Sabine just goes, oh, I have the Darksaber. Here, you can have a Bo-Katan. And Bo-Katan's like, cool, I have the Darksaber. No problem, right? Then we get to Mandalorian. I can't take it. She has to win it from you in combat or her throne is a sham. I can't take it. That's a far cry from that. But here's the thing. If it was, if it was a rule before, Bo-Katan would have at least... Uh, hesitated before taking it from Sabine on that basis. Somebody out of all the other Mandalorians that were there when she took it the first time might've said, Hey, don't we have some kind of rule? Look, here's the basic thing. They're clearly breaking what they said before, and they will come up for some excuse as to why they're breaking it. They'll make something up. 
and it'll be fine. It'll, it'll be totally fine. It's a lot like what they did with when they said Mando could never take his helmet off. It's like, well, we've seen tons of Mandalorians take their helmet off. Uh, they're a religious ex- zealot sect uh, that didn't do that. And that's how he was brought. Oh, okay, whatever. Fine. And you know what? And it is fine. It will be fine. I have come to peace with the fact that Lucasfilm doesn't really care much about canon anymore. They play pretty fast and loose with canon now. It's not just with Mandalorian. This has started before, earlier before. Like, even in the books and everything, they've started breaking canon. And you know what? If you're going to break canon, and the reason you're breaking canon is because it enables you to tell the story you want to tell, I'm always saying that story needs to come first. And so I've come to peace with it. It used to really bother me. They would, I mean, when they started breaking canon, like in the novels and things like that, when they said novels would be totally canon, um, that it used to really bother me quite a bit. I don't let it bother me as much anymore. It's like, eh, whatever. It is what it is. They're doing it for the sake of the story they want to tell. And I'm okay with that. They want Bo-Katan and Mando to have a point of conflict that they've got to resolve as a part of their story. And in order to do that, they had to make up this new thing. Well, uh, now you can't have the dark saber unless you win it in combat. Okay, okay, fine. They made that up and threw it in there. So, and I, you know what? And seriously, I'm not being facetious. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. If it's to tell their story, I'm okay. This hat doesn't quite fit on my head, so you're going to see me fiddling with it quite a bit. Uh, anyway, I'm your magic movie elf today, everybody. All right, let's move on here. Oh, Danny Boy writes. Over or under 35% that we end up seeing Tamora Morrison pops up in the Ahsoka show as Rex. I'm going to go under on that. Uh, random side note, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is Thrawn. That is all. Enjoy your day. Yeah, lots of people have thrown out the Benedict Cumberbatch. Honestly, any good actor. Just get a good actor. Any good actor. Put them in there. Once you put on the blue face paint and put on the red contact lenses and put enough gel in their hair to put it back just properly everybody will be perfectly excited with whoever they get i mean maybe it'll be uh mickelson uh lars mickelson who's mad's brother mad's mickelson's brother who does the voice of thrawn in the rebel show doesn't do the voice of thrawn in the novels and honestly the guy who does the voice of thrawn in the thrawn novels is even better at it than Lars Mikkelsen. And Lars is really good at it, don't get me wrong. But a lot of people throwing out Lars Mikkelsen, a lot of people throwing out Benedict Cumberbatch, and then that's all fine. But the reality is, is any actor they get who's a good, talented actor, once they slap on the makeup and the contact lenses, everybody will be good. All right, Bono writes, Hey, John, I'll give you a backstage pass on the next tour if you release your dancing video. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's one of my all-time favorite, actually, my all-time favorite U2 song. It is, and my all-time favorite song, period, like my favorite song of all time, is Where the Streets Have No Name. Where the Streets Have No Name is still like musically, lyrically, everything about that song, like my favorite song of all time. So uh, if only you were the real Bono and give me those backstage passes. All right, next up. Thanks for writing that in, man. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, Hi, John. With all these all-time legendary fan-favorite Star Wars characters making surprise appearances lately, over or under 50% in Mandalorian Season 3, we get Dark Helmet, Lone Star, Barf, and Yogurt show up. May the Schwartz be with you. Listen, at this point, I wouldn't doubt one of them showing up in Spider-Man 3. Seriously, think about it. With all the, the people and the things they have popping up in Spider-Man 3, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you know Pizza the Hut shows up. You know, you're delicious, boss. I wouldn't doubt that 
One little bit. All right, next up, uh, Mikey Roberts Meyer Burnett writes, Hey, John, one thing I've really been impressed in Star Trek Discovery is the evolution of the relationship between Saru and Michael. Anyway, I always wanted to say thanks. I didn't know how to really watch a movie. Now I do. Thanks to you. Thanks. Well, thanks for that, man. And honestly, uh, Star Trek Discovery is a point of contention between Robert Meyer Burnett and I because I really quite like the show. It's not my favorite show on TV or anything, but I really do quite like it. Um, they, not everything about it, like the time crystals thing, that was really weird to me. But I've really appreciated what they've done with the show, how they maintain the spirit of the Federation while at the same time exploring different types of characters, doing different types of things. I really, I find it quite entertaining. I find it really good. Rob, on the other hand, I mean, he hasn't liked anything Star Trek since I I honestly couldn't tell you what the last thing Star Trek related that Robert liked, uh, but he has not been a fan of anything Star Trek related going all the way back to the first JJ Star Trek film, which I quite like, and he really doesn't. Uh, so that's a point of contention to us, but I, I am with you. I've, I really do enjoy that show again, not, not one of my top three or favorites or anything, but I really do like it. I haven't seen the newest episode yet. So I do need to get caught up on that. But yeah, you're right. One of the things that I've really enjoyed, Saru, the Saru character is one that I, it might be my favorite character on the show. The whole evolution of his character, not to mention the evolution of his relationship with Michael, but just his character itself has been fascinating. Seeing him as captain there, I, I really enjoy it. I like it. And I know a lot of people don't, and that's totally fine. That's the wonderful thing about entertainment. It's all subjective, but uh, I really do enjoy it. I'm glad you do too, Mikey. All right, next up. Hayden Burkreitz, one of five. All right, here we go. Buckle in. After almost nine years of watching and writing to you almost daily, I think I deserve one insane theory, all right? Uh, I'm just putting this out there, knowing it's likely certainly garbage, but if true, I was the first one to say it. Okay. Uh, the CGI Luke face slightly altered Hamill's features in order to be a blend of his and Sebastian Stan's. Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, so that's when they use Stan. They have already made a transition of Luke's appearance over time. Luke is aging gracefully into another face opposed to waking up one. Uh, instead of saying he's different, uh, we will say he's different, but looks identical to CGI Luke. Disney were afraid of recasting. Now, Disney is never afraid of anything. Let, let's be, just be clear about that. They're never afraid of anything. They should be sometimes. Fear is a good cautious uh, reaction to things that can keep you on the right path. They just, they don't give a crap <laughs> most of the time. So no, they're never afraid of anything. Disney were afraid of recasting now, uh, yet thought they'd prepare us in advance. They knew if the demand was high for more Luke, they had built on a safe option for a recast. Oh, you'll hate this comment, but just want to share this crazy with you. If I'm right, you will be uh, inviting me to Zoom record a commentary of Nacho Libre and sending me a free John Campion mug. Hashtag gradual exposure theory. Now, I 1000% I disagree with you. Now, listen, what is not impossible, what is not impossible, and I'm going to be, like I said, I warned you, I'm going to be adjusting this hat all show. What is not impossible is that at some point they get another actor to play Luke. What is also not impossible is that at some point, maybe that actor is Sebastian Stan. I don't think that's highly likely, but that is a possibility that's out there. Or another actor, whatever. There is no reason for them to say, let's do a one thing, especially something as big. Do you think John Favreau 
is going to let his show be used as a guinea pig. The, the climax of their show so far has been Mandalorian season two, episode eight. That has been the climax of the show up until this point. From the episode one, season one, when Mando meets Grogu to ep- season two, episode eight, the climax of the story so far, John Favreau is not going to use the big climax moment as a test guinea pig. You know, they use CGI because they thought that was the best thing to do. That's it. It wasn't, let's make a bad CGI face that everybody complains about just so it'll warm people. Nah, situations like this, it is best to just rip the bandaid off. Like, listen, when they had to make the switch from Harris Dumbledore to, I keep forgetting, Gambone, uh, to the new Dumbledore in Harry Potter. They they didn't do some gradual thing. It's just like, here you go. This is our new Harry Potter, or this is our new uh, Dumbledore, right? And it was fine. It was The transition was fine. Every, the whole audience was cool. We got it. That's the new Dumbledore. Good. When they made the transition to Don Cheadle as Rhodey War Machine in Iron Man, they didn't say, oh, we've got to ease the audience into it. We have to explain some kind of plastics. Well, let's say that he had to get into a plane crash and had to have plastic surgery on his face, and that's why he looks different. No, they just went, it's a different actor. There you go. That's how Disney's handled it. It's a new actor. And guess what? Everybody just, everybody just accepted it right away. It's like, okay, we get it. That's Rhodey now. We're good. That was it. They, they didn't have to do, oh, no, the audience won't be able to handle it if they suddenly see somebody else. We have to do a bad CGI blending thing first to sort of ease the... Nah, nah. Again, they very well could bring in an actor to play Luke at some point. Maybe it's a Sebastian Stan. Maybe it's somebody else. All that is possible. But if they do, it won't be because they felt that the audience was so stupid that they had to ease us into a new Luke. I mean, so that, I mean, I love that you're thinking outside of the box though, Hayden. I love that you're thinking outside of the box, but I think that one might be a little bit too far outside of the box. Anyway, that's just my thought on that. Thanks for sending that in Hayden. All right. Next up an anonymous viewer writes, um, saw John's documentary a plus. Thank you so much, man. Of course, he's talking about my documentary movie trailers, a love story, which they are. Let me take this opportunity to plug, do plug, plug, plug. Uh, I'll plug it up right now. So, uh, obviously for most of you guys know, we have been working on a documentary, uh, for, uh, we worked on it for over a year. It's about movie trailers. It's called movie trailers, a love story. It is now done and it is out and available. A whole ton of you guys have already watched it. Thank you so much for that. For those of you who've not, it is available worldwide, whatever country you live in, it is available on Vimeo.com uh, slash on demand slash movie trailers. It is available there for you. But if you happen to live in the U S or the UK, you also have an option of picking it up on Amazon. And it is available there on Amazon if you're in the U.S. or the U.K. Just go to Amazon and search for Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and you should be able to find it and pick it up there. And again, deep thank you to all you guys who have already checked it out and all the feedback. Please do give feedback to it as well once you watch it. And thank you so much for that. So uh, thanks a lot, man, for checking out my documentary. I appreciate that. Anyway, let's get back to your question, Anonymous, shall we? Um, My wish 
Alien trailer mentioned. Good job. You're welcome. Uh, hey, John, before uh, December 25th, please consider Tenet spoiler talk episode. Uh, now that more folks are seeing it, it would be grand to talk about this zany, incredible film with your followers. Much love, Anon. Well, thank you so much, man. But honestly, you guys know my pattern here. I generally don't do reviews, spoiler or otherwise. If I can't do it, like within days of it coming out uh, just to me at that point, there's just really no point in doing it. Like if I put in the hours it would take to do a tenant spoiler review, um, it, it would get so minimal number of views at this point. So my policy has basically been if I cannot get a review of something out within an X number of days of it releasing, and if obviously tenant came out months ago, then there's not really a point in doing it. So I probably won't be doing that. I am looking forward to watching it again, though. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. I've always wanted to watch it again with the damn subtitles on. So I will probably get around doing that soon. But no, I probably won't be doing, just to be honest, I probably won't be doing a spoiler review at this point. But thank you for asking, man. I appreciate that. All right, next up, we've got... JC's pants after Mando writes. Yeah, they, they had to be thrown out. Uh, I love the Mando show, but it has the worst case of stormtroopers couldn't hit an elephant in the hallways. No, you're absolutely right about that. I have ever seen. When will we get trained bad guys to fight our heroes? LOL. You know, let's be honest. To be fair, it's not like only Star Wars does that, but it it's to the point that it is utterly laughable especially and I talked about this on the show the other day, but if you consider the uh, episode eight season two, episode eight, the season finale, it is particularly bad because you have stormtroopers in the scene where you had uh Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan, Krennic, uh, Cara Dune and Bo-Katan, Sasha Banks, Bo-Katan's right-hand girl. They were running through, uh, you know, the, the hallways and, you know, having the gunfights. But at one point, they are literally running down a hallway, right? Not an open field, a hallway. Four of them, not just one of them in some big hallway. It was four of them in this relatively narrow hallway with like a bunch of stormtroopers behind them shooting at them, four targets down a straight hallway. Pew, 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 pew. None of them hit anything. None of them hit anything. At some point, like when there's gunfights and the heroes are kind of taking cover and whatever, you accept that. But at some point, it's like, come on, you give us, give us a reason at least. And and you know, I'll I'll put this one on Peyton Reed, even though Peyton Reed did a glorious job direct. I love the job Peyton Reed did on that episode of Mandalorian. But I'll put it on him. Give us. Give us as the audience something a little more tangible to believe why they couldn't hit them. Maybe the lights have gone out or maybe there's a busted pipe or something and there's steam filling. I mean, I don't know. Give us something to reasonably believe that these eight military trained stormtroopers down a straight, relatively narrow hallway at four targets could not hit any of them. Couldn't hit a single one, but nope, no, no. uh, The line of sight was pure. It was a beautifully lit hallway. 
four big targets moving down a relatively narrow hallway and like eight stormtroopers couldn't hit one. At some point, it is a little bit of roll your eyeism. I mean, at some point, it is a bit of roll your eyeism. And listen, if we're going to praise the Mandalorian finale, which I have done for days now, I loved it. But let's be honest about the things that didn't work. That was a bad thing. That was the CGI Luke face was bad. Didn't matter. I still loved it. It's fine. But I, but it was bad. Let's be honest. But that whole thing about stormtroopers can't hit crap like at all. Even when it's four adult targets running down a narrow hallway and you've got eight of you firing off 10 rounds each and you can't hit a thing. Come on. Come on. I, you couldn't possibly miss. Like, do you know what the odds are that none of those shots hit one of those? It's, uh, it's anyway, I could go on about that all hour, JC. I could go on about it all hour. Anyway, next up, Eminem's bag of M&M's rights. I like that name. How would you feel about a show where a force user trained in secret or a group of stormtroopers is sent to hunt remaining force sensitives? Kind of like the force unleashed. If you've played that, I have. Um, I've always wanted to see a series where it's to hunt Jedi. Well, they kind of already did it. They were called Inquisitors, and it was called Rebels, and then they did a game about it, too, in Force Unleashed. I mean, it's not like it's a new thing, right? I mean, Fallen Order is what I meant to say. Uh, they've they've sort of done that already. I mean, that's really what Vader was doing for a long time uh, post-Revenge uh, of the Sith. So, I mean, we've kind of already got that in a way. I mean, again, a lot of Rebels, particularly Rebels Season 2, was kind of all on these Force Sensitives, and there's Inquisitors after them. So we've kind of had that? But I don't know. I guess you could do show, but I mean, I'm also very ready as a Star Wars fan to move on from that time period. I'm very, very ready as a Star Wars fan to move on from that time period. So my, my first, listen, listen, Eminem, if they were to do it, of course I would watch it. Of course I would. But my initial feelings, having them not made it yet, would be, I think it would be not a good use of their resources to make that show, considering we've already kind of had it already, and we've had a lot of storytelling in that time period right now. It's kind of time to move outside of that. But again... I'm saying that now, but if they made that show, you know, I would watch the hell out of it, but I just think they would be better served to put their resources elsewhere right now. That's just my thoughts, but I'm glad you're thinking outside the box. All right. Next up, Darren Barnes writes uh, Christmas tip. If you start die, I've heard of this before. If you start die hard at nine 57 and nine, nine PM, nine 57 PM and 32 seconds on Christmas Eve, you can start Christmas Day as Hans Gruber falls from Nakatomi Plaza, as is tradition. I mean, that that's actually really good timing. Thanks for sharing that. You know, a lot of people are going to probably do that. Uh, probably a, thousands of people are going to do that. All right, Trist, even though, you know, Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Just saying. All right, Tristan Thorpe writes, In regards to Mandalorian Season 2 finale, I literally said the same as you did after finishing the finale. It just made me appreciate Luke's character in The Last Jedi even more. Yeah, I know, I know that's a bit of a controversial position to take, but it's true. When I watch that Luke in Mandalorian Season 2, in the finale, the, the assuredness, the confidence, maybe even a little bit of that Jedi smugness, if you will, 
that the Jedi really did have. Too self-assured they are. Anyway, it made me appreciate the Luke in Last Jedi even more. Because while there are things about The Last Jedi I did not like, the one thing that I really did appreciate was Luke Skywalker in that. Even though it was not the Luke I wanted, it wasn't the Luke I was asking for, it wasn't the Luke Skywalker I was fantasizing about being in this Star Wars movie, wasn't that Luke at all. It was something completely different. But I deeply appreciated what they did. Because you can see if that Luke, this now believes he's got all the answers. I took down the empire. I want dark troopers, legion of dark troopers. Please give me two minutes. Give me two minutes. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I don't feel like using my lightsaber on the last one. I'm just going to crush him with the force. Yeah, that Luke, when he gets hit with massive, complete and utter failure, what will it do to him? And how will his initial reaction be when you have somebody that self-assured? And I, I agree. Again, a lot of people disagree, and that's cool. That's cool. But to me, it enhanced the Luke we got in Last Jedi even more. It made me appreciate that character transition even more. So, But that's uh, that's just you and me, Tristan. Again, I'm in the minority on that, and you are too, Christian, uh, Tristan. But I'm comfortable with that. I don't care about being in the minority or the majority. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. But uh, yeah, it made me appreciate it even more. All right, Joseph Campbell writes, I have a weird feeling that Mace Windu will appear in the Boba Fett series. Sam Jackson wants to come back uh, to over under 30% that he shows up in the book of Boba Fett. Oh, and does Rob have a Slave One hot toy? I think he, I don't think he has a Slave One hot toy, uh, but I think he has a Slave One. But uh, other than that, um, listen, actor wants a job is not a reason why you create something. Samuel Jackson wanting to come back is completely irrelevant, completely irrelevant. But, and I love Sam Jackson. I'm saying that as a Sam Jackson fan. I will go well under 30%. I'll go well under 30%. I think they have a story to tell there. I think it has to do with the criminal underworld. And I think it has to do with Grand Admiral Thrawn. Because I think all of these shows, now all of these Favreau run shows, uh, Rangers of the New Republic, Ahsoka, Mandalorian Season 3, Book of Boba Fett, I believe... You know, Kathy T- Kennedy's already told us they're coming into to these shows are going to come into a big climactic crossover event. And I believe that's going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I don't think there'll be any need for a Mace Window. Not impossible. Hell, Luke Skywalker just showed up in Mandalorian. So it not, it ain't impossible for Mace Window to make an appearance in that. Not at all. But if you're give, if you're setting the line at 30%, I feel pretty comfortable taking the under on that. We'll see. Let's see what happens though, Joseph. All right. Next up, the Black Knight writes, wow, John, I've been snowed in about 10 days with work and currently halfway through my Campia marathon to catch up. No T'Challa, Spider-Man triple threat. Sorry if the show seems Campia and Robert featuring the Dark Knight, but I have questions. All right, here we go. Okay, I heard Toby Toby's contract might not be confirmed. That is, that's just rumor. Uh, might not be confirmed. If that's the case and they got an impersonator, Red Skull situation, can he sue? No, he does not own the character, but his voice, uh, they are mimicking like deep fake laws. I mean, yeah, you can't use his likeness. You can't use his likeness. Uh, Not even in making toys. Like if you make a movie uh, with a superhero, let's call it uh, Super Jim. Okay. You're making a movie called Super Jim and you cast Ryan Gosling as Super Jim. 
you can't make toys of Super Jim unless in the contract there is merchandising stipulations in the contract that allow Disney, let's say Disney made Super Jim, uh, that allows Disney to go and make merchandising regarding Super Jim and to contract Mattel to make Super Jim figures and to have your likeness. This is why sometimes you see action figures from movies that look nothing like the actor that played them because those contracts may not have had those merchandising stipulations. So they can't just use his, his likeness without his permission. So yeah. And by the way, this whole thing, they're already shooting Spider-Man. The movie's already shooting. So I don't buy this thing. He's either in it or he's not. I don't buy this. Oh, they're trying to work out an agreement now. No, no, no. Those agreements get made and worked out months before you start shooting a movie. You don't start shooting the movie with your script that you have and go, oh, now suddenly this one guy who was going to be in the movie that we have scripted to be in the movie is all of a sudden just not going to be in the movie. Well, then you're screwed. So I don't believe that at all. He's either in it or he's not. And I don't know for sure. Because, you know, this whole thing about Toby uh, being um, or the whole thing about the triple threat Spider-Man is confirmed. No, it's not. Disney has not come out and said that. Sony has not come out and confirmed it. There's a lot of reliable information out there that 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 I think makes it safe to assume that all three of them are in there. But let's be clear, it's not confirmed yet. So there's that. All right. Black Knight also writes, do you think there's anything in that? Let me try this again. Do you think there is anything in that they have taken both second Spider-Man villains from both movies, even though it's Toby's best and Garfield's worst? No, I don't think there's any hidden meaning in that. Because remember, in that world, uh, it being their second movie isn't even a thing, right? So no, I I think that is just, it's a coincidence that Doc Ock and uh, Jamie Foxx's Electro are the ones they chose. And I don't think there is anything to it being it's both the villains from the second film. I don't think there's any hidden meaning in that. Never know, but I don't see any relevance to that or why it would be the case at all. So that's going to be my guess. All right, next up. Uh, the Black Knight also writes, did the MCU just let Hugo Weaving out of his contract? Yes. And if so, what was the point of the contract? As before, do you think he collected any royalties on Endgame? Again, his voice is being mimicked. See, here's the thing. Hugo Weaving had signed a contract to do multiple films as Red Skull. However, he did not like his experience uh, doing Captain America, the first Avenger. I, I, I heard it was the makeup. He just hated it. He didn't want to do it again. However, he had a contract. So if Disney and Marvel wanted to force him, I, there was a great interview uh, with Hugo Weaving at one point saying he understood that he could be forced back. They could have forced him to do it, but you know, he made it clear he didn't want to. So Marvel, instead of forcing him to do it, let him out of the contract. But I am sure that a part of letting him out of that contract, it was, was the conversations of, okay, we'll let you out. But now Hugo, you've put us in a bad spot because we've created this character based on a contract we had with you that you were going to play him multiple times and now you're not. So that being said, we get to use your image and we get to use your likeness and you can either accept that or you have to come back and play him yourself. But if you don't want to play him yourself, you want out of this contract, you got to let us use your likeness, the sound of your voice, make him look like the way you looked before. You got to let us do that. If you want us to go on doing this without you, because if you don't want to let us do that, then we have no choice, but to force you to come back. Right. 
So I'm sure that was very much part of the conversation. I mean, I, I, I haven't been told that by Hugo Weaving, but that seems pretty clear. That was probably the way that worked out. All right, next up, uh, Black Knight also writes one of three. Uh, given we live in the world where no one dies in the MCU, I was well on board for your Michael B. Jordan idea for Black Panther, uh, for Black Panther 2. But now that Kevin has flushed it, what do you think of this? T'Challa is dying. Suri does not want the throne. Uh, he emotionally asks Eric to take over. He wouldn't. He wouldn't ask Eric to take over. He wouldn't. Anyway, uh, and the film is his road to redemption, giving, given everything he did, learning how to be king, his homeland ways, like Aquaman and Outsider, but with birthright. Uh, Michael B. Jordan tricks all the bo- ticks all the boxes of someone you wouldn't want to carry the franchise. Of someone you would want to carry the front, Michael B. Jordan is, yes. Uh, and if him and Chadwick shot this before his passing, wow, his heartstrings. If not, then C- CGI, you probably mean CGI just a little bit. Uh, P.S. Keep the gold suit. No chance in hell. Like, I won't, I won't bore everybody again with why it's absolutely preposterous that Killmonger would be king of Wakanda. It, it's absolutely preposterous. Listen, the only thing, that there, there are two possibilities that make sense of who would be the monarch of Wakanda after the passing of T'Challa. And one of them is not Shuri. Shuri has no interest in the traditions of Wakanda. She has no interest in governance. She wants to be in her lab. That's it. That's where she wants to be. On top of that, and the fact she has no, she can't fight, right? She slaps on her you know, uh, her blaster gloves that she made. But other than that, she can't fight. On top of that, the throne really belongs to M'Baku. You know, M'Baku, Duke Winston, uh, Winston Duke, the throne belongs to him. He has the legitimate claim to the throne. He can challenge in combat for it. And he did in Black Panther and came that close to beating T'Challa. Let's not forget about that. And that in in Black Panther 1, Black Panther had to fight M'Baku, who legitimately, not through any trickery, legitimately came that close to beating T'Challa for the throne. He is the head of, of of the Jambari tribe. He has a rightful claim to the throne. And if he wants it, it's his. It's just that period. It's just that simple. The only other person is Nakia, who was a legitimate representation of the, I think it was the River Tribe, who was going to be, if not already, the queen, who has an understanding of the outside world and is one of the finest warriors in all of Wakanda. They also have a claim. The problem here is, while Black Panther, while T'Challa might have been ready to hug and feel bad for his cousin, Killmonger, he wasn't going to pardon him. He wasn't going to let him out of the responsibility that he killed a lot of Wakandans, that he murdered members of his honor guard, that he that he tried to embark Wakanda on a path of genocide on the world and, and spark a global war. 
that he murdered his closest father figure who was still alive in the Forrest Whitaker character who betrayed all of Wakanda. There, there is, there's no reality in which Wakanda would allow that to happen, nor that T'Challa, T'Challa might've been willing to embrace him, but he wasn't going to let him off the hook. There's just no way. Yes. Michael B. Jordan is a guy that you can have lead your franchise. And that's why I was totally cool with just a recasting and going to the audience and saying, we are now saying that Michael B. Jordan is T'Challa. And I think the audience would have totally embraced it, especially with the relationship that Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman had. I think it would have been very appropriate. But as Killmonger, no. No way, no way, no way. It would just, I would I would honestly just not even watch the movie because they would be breaking. I don't care if movies break logic in our real world. What I don't accept is when movies break their own logic within the world of the movie they've created. Once you've told us the certain rules and the way things work in your world, I don't expect you as a film to follow our real world rules. Just stay consistent with the logic you set up in your own. And that would just be a total violation. I would never be able to accept it. I just probably just wouldn't watch it at that point. That's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Black Knight also writes, Kevin is often put in the MJ bracket... I have no idea what we're talking about. Kevin is often put in the MJ bracket. Uh, perfection, perfection, Lord and Savior never lost in the finals. But he has a few misses. Okay, okay, Kevin Feige and Michael Jordan. Guys, please be a little bit more clear when you're writing and don't leave it to me to just figure it out because I'm reading like a hundred other questions. All right, anyway, Kevin Feige is often put in the MJ bracket, perfection. Uh, Lord and Savior never lost in the finals, but he has had a few misses uh, as producer of uh, Elektra, etc. Are these overlooked because he was not fully in charge or because everyone has to fall when learning to ride a bike? Well, I mean, there's a couple things to keep in mind here. Ev- Listen, even Steven Spielberg, the greatest filmmaker of all time, has had a bad day at the office or two. For me, it's the terminal. Even though I love Tom Hanks and Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, that movie's awful. I, I find that movie awful. And yet Steven Spielberg, it's like everybody will have bad days at the office. The other thing is that, yes, he was a producer on there, but that was very early in his career and he was not ultimately the one in charge of it. So does he bear, because he is a producer on it, does he bear some of the responsibility? Of course he does. Does he bear the responsibility of the main producer of the movie and the director of the film and the studio producing and all that kind of stuff? No, he doesn't bear that kind of responsibility. That was all in the learning stages of his career. Now, when he is the head of the MCU, we do hold him more responsible for things because he's the buck stop stops here guy, right? So when something doesn't work, he takes the blame. When something works, he takes a lot of the credit, which is totally fine. So yeah, he's had losses along the way. Of course he has, but it's a part of growing. It's a part of growing in the in his job and learning what works and learning what doesn't work. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it at any rate. All right, Black Knight also writes, he did warn us he had a lot coming in. Uh, Black Knight also writes one of two. 
With Wonder Woman 84 about to drop, I remember how annoyed I was when Pine was cast as Steve Trevor. Really wanted the rumor of him being Green Lantern to be true and being the same charisma he gave Captain Kirk to Hal Jordan. Uh, When they killed him, I was like, yes, maybe they will still cast him as Green Lantern, but as a descendant of Trevor, test his acting chops and change his character totally. But then I saw the trailer for 84, not going to say they wasted him as Trevor, but he would have made a great Green Lantern. Here's the bottom thing, though, Black Knight, honestly. Honestly, the, the the dream fantasy casting is ridiculous, and here's why. Never get attached to some dream fantasy casting of a character because you don't know if that actor fits the character that they're going to write. You don't know how they're going to write. Like, if they do a Hal Jordan Green Lantern, you have no idea in that script if the way they write him that Chris Pine would actually be a really good fit for it or not. You simply don't know. Chris Pine is a great, perfect fit for the Hal Jordan you have in your head. But the Hal Jordan you have in your head is not necessarily the Hal Jordan they will, the way they will write him in that movie. Every writer will write them a different way. And then it's up to the director and the casting director to take that script get a sense of the way the director wants to bring it to life. And once they know what that character is really going to be, then you try to find the right fit for it. And maybe it would have been Chris Pine, but maybe not. Right? Maybe it would have been Chris Pine, maybe not. It's one of the reasons why, like when Christopher Nolan cast Heath Ledger's Joker, like seriously, everybody forgets this, but it's important that we remember this. Everybody hated the casting. Brokeback Mountain Boy is Joker. Like that. Everybody pretends they didn't say that now, but I was there. I remember everybody hated it. Not everybody, but most people completely hated it. And everybody was pulling out all these other names of actors who could play Joker. But here's the thing. Nobody knew what Christopher Nolan's Joker was actually going to be like. So you had, this guy would be better as Joker. This guy, they're stupid for not getting this other guy's Joker. But really, they're picking these names out. Fans are just throwing out these names, having no concept. And none of us were ready for the Joker that Christopher Nolan gave us. It was a completely different Joker while maintaining the spirit of the Joker. And Christopher Nolan, being the one who knows what this Joker in his movie is going to be like, He knew (laughs) this hat. Uh, He knew that he knew what none of us knew at the time was that Heath Ledger was actually the perfect choice to play that Joker. And this is the danger with us as fans. And it's not just you, Black Knight. We all do this. This is the danger of us as fans getting attached to either fan casting ideas or fan theory ideas. We come up with these fan theories. We get attached to them, and then we get miffed when they don't follow through on our theory, right? But it's particularly true of casting. That's why when people ask me, I I try to discourage people from asking me ex-actor and ex-role questions. John, what do you think about Hugh Jackman as Davy Crockett? I mean, I, I don't I don't know. All I care about is do they hire a talented actor because they're the ones who know what Davy Crockett's supposed to be like in this movie and whether or not Hugh Jackman would be a good fit. I don't know. Because there are other actors who would have been a great... Because let's, let's put it this way. Joaquin Phoenix, 
just won an Academy Award playing Joker. Would he have actually been the best fit to play Christopher Nolan's Joker? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Heath Ledger won an Academy Award playing Joker. Would Heath Ledger have done been a good choice to play Jax Joker in the Michael Keaton Batman? That probably wouldn't have been a good fit. So all I'm saying is, understand when you say Chris Pine would have made a great Green Lantern, what you're really saying is that Chris Pine would have made the great Green Lantern that you've got in your mind, that you've got in your head, the way the Green Lantern would be in your mind. But that's why I always say, let's just say, get somebody who's super talented. That's all we care about as an audience. Just get somebody talented. From there, we as an audience will trust that you know this character, how they're supposed to come across on the screen. And so only you guys know which actor might be the best fit. It doesn't mean they always do a good job, but we, we got to give them that thing. That's why it's dangerous for us to do these fan castings and getting attached. Because like you said, you even heard he's going to do it and you get annoyed at the, at the movie because you wanted him as this other character when we don't even know if he would have worked well as that character. Anyway, that's just, that's just a thought on that. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, thanks for that Black Knight, by the way. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here, obviously. A fan from Thailand. Oh, thanks for writing in, man. Just watch Wonder Woman 84 in IMAX theater. I, I'm going to watch that probably in about T minus six hours. Probably about six hours from now, I will watch Wonder Woman. But it has been released in some theaters and other places of the world. Just watch Wonder Woman 84 in IMAX theater. I have mixed feelings. It's a good entertaining movie, but a bad sequel. Its biggest problem is not its quality, but the story. I think it's a mistake to make a sequel setting um setting in the past when audiences already knew who wonder woman is and her origins personally what i want to know more is her next adventure after justice league not some more problems when she's uh that she's been through before batman versus superman again what are your thoughts well I, it's very very difficult for me to kind of give my opinion on what they did well and didn't do well in wonder woman 84 when i have not watched it it could very well be what you're saying is true. But once I watch the movie, maybe I'll think, oh, that was the exact right thing to do for this particular movie, right? One of the things that made the first Wonder Woman movie work was the fact it was completely free of anything else in the DCEU, right? Patty Jenkins had no handcuffs on her. Her hands weren't tied. She was completely free to tell whatever story she wanted because of the time period they did that movie. Because they did that movie set in World War I, it, they could do anything and it had no impact and they didn't have to worry about anything else in the DCEU. Their hands were completely free. That then becomes very appealing to a filmmaker like Patty Jenkins, who is, because if you're Patty Jenkins... Why would you want to come back now and do a Wonder Woman movie with your hands tied? Well, Patty, you have to make sure that your movie acknowledges this and does this. And you can't do that because this happened in Batman versus Superman. And you can't blah, blah, like all that kind of stuff. Patty Jenkins decided, let's do that again. Let's take a different time period, but still a time period that keeps my hands completely untied to tell a story that I want to tell and not have to worry about all the other stuff in the DCEU. It worked before. I could totally see the appeal for doing it again. Now, does that work? To you, that didn't work. 
And maybe it won't for me either, but I won't know until about, like I said, about six hours from now, about six hours from now, I will finally have a chance to sit down and watch it myself. And then maybe I'll agree with you. Maybe I won't. I don't know. And I've heard nothing but good things about it so far. Uh, A lot of people are saying that's even better than the first one. I have a hard time believing that, but who knows? Maybe it's true. I'll know for sure once I have a chance to watch myself. This damn thing is so small. Why did I... Why did I wear this stupid hat? Oh, because it's Christmas. That's why. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Anonymous. We'll, we'll wait and see. We will find out. All right. The Black Knight writes, are we still getting Pine and Hemsworth in, in a Star Trek movie? It's looking more and more unlikely we are. I really like all three films, especially the first. My lunch money ran out, but I'll be back. Uh, let you read some other questions. Thanks for all you do. Uh, saving your film for Christmas Day. Well, thanks so much for that, Black Knight. Yeah, listen, I was... I am also somebody who liked all of the J.J. Abrams era Star Trek films. The second one was the weakest. I thought the last one was the best. Star Trek Beyond, I thought that was the best one of the bunch. But the trailers were so bad and Into Darkness wasn't really well received, even though I still thought it was quite good with some really bad things about it. But I still thought it was quite, and the first Star Trek I thought was great. I really enjoy them. So I was very excited because remember, when Chris Hemsworth was in that first J.J. Star Trek movie, most people had no idea who Chris Hemsworth was. So he was uh, George Kirk. He was Captain Kirk's dad. And I love the idea of them doing it where the two of them are together. Pine and Hemsworth. I thought that would have been great. Uh, but unfortunately, it fell apart. It was kind of basically on life support. But the more I hear about it, every time I hear something about that project, it becomes it's they're saying it's becoming less and less likely. So at this point, Black Knight, unfortunately for me, uh, I think we're probably not getting that movie. I would still love to. I'd be all down for it. But as of right now, it doesn't look like we're getting it. Okay, next up, Scott Brown writes. My theory is uh, the next time man, the next time Mando will see Grogu is in 20 years after the fall of Luke's Jedi Academy. Uh, Somehow Mando will hear about it and go get him. Uh, So maybe we'll see Mando take out a night of Ren or two. Love the show, John, and have a Merry Christmas. Um, I don't think so. I mean, that is a possibility. And I'll be I'll be honest with you, Scott. That's one I hadn't considered before. I still don't think that's really going to happen for two reasons. One, um, I don't think Grogu is still around by the time Luke's Jedi Academy is done. I, I don't think he's still around at that point. Not that he's dead, but I think he may have been sent off at some point at any rate. Also, I don't believe there's any chance. Let me be clear. I have not been told this by anybody at Disney. This is just me fan speculating. Okay, let's just be clear. But I don't believe there is any chance that we don't have Grogu and Mandalorian season three. I don't think there's any chance of that. I think we definitely have baby Yoda in Mandalorian season three. Maybe not all of it. Maybe just half the season. Maybe just in one episode. But I just don't see there being any possibility. To me, baby Yoda is the reason why Mandalorian became a worldwide phenomenon in season one. Like, yeah, the Star Wars fanatics... We were all excited about Mando, but once baby Yoda showed up and the images started going around the internet and everybody saw baby Yoda running, oh, I, that was it. Listen, I know, listen, I, I, I'm not trying to stereotype or anything. I'm just telling you my personal experience. Take it for what you will. But I have several women in my life 
All right. Several female friends of mine and family members that would not be watching Mandalorian today were it not for baby Yoda. I'm just telling you what I'm just telling you the fact. All right. You, you take that and you make whatever meaning out of it you want. I'm just telling you my personal experience. And listen, there are probably some guys I know that probably wouldn't be watching it either were it not for baby Yoda. And my interpretation of it is in the finale, when Din says to baby Yoda, I will see you again. I promise. I think that wasn't Din talking to baby Yoda. I think that was John Favreau talking directly to the audience about baby Yoda. I feel like that was John Favreau saying to the audience, you'll see this little character again. I promise. That's what it felt like in that scene. It felt like, um, uh, John Favreau was, was assuring us, God, I need a haircut. Oh my God. I need a haircut. Uh, but it felt like it wasn't Din saying to baby Yoda, Oh, you know, I'll see you again. Don't worry, little guy. No, 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 no. John Favreau put in that line. I will see you again. I promise. That was John Favreau's commitment to the audience that we are going to have baby Yoda back. At least that's what I believe. I'll have to wait and see. We'll find out for sure. Scott, thanks for writing that you're in your theory, man. All right. Next up, uh, Steve Rogers writes one of three. I tell you the truth. I was dead on my feet. Half a shield, just used all my best moves on Thanos, and while one-on-one, I got in some good hits, the bottom line is I lost. Then to face hundreds of his, shoulder, of his, of his soldiers and him alone, I thought, this is it. Uh, when everyone arrived to back me up, truly uh, relived, truly relived, but still exhausted. Uh, when I said assemble, it was through gritted tre- teeth to strike up to go again, to strike myself up to go, to psych myself up to go again. Uh, Thor is right behind me and read the situation, so he roared and, and off we all set. Um, where's part three? I guess part three went missing for some reason. Yeah, that is, of course, to me, one of the... There are many moments in... Avengers Endgame that are pure fan service. And again, a great example of how fan service is not necessarily a bad thing. Fan service can be a good thing. It's like any other tool. Fan service is just another tool at the disposal of a filmmaker that you can use or not use. And when you use it, you can use it badly or you can use it really effectively. It's not inherently a good thing. It's not inherently a bad thing. It all depends like any other tool, how you use it. They use fan service very, very well in Endgame, much like they did in Mandalorian. They use fan service very, very well, very effectively to create great, memorable moments. That is what I make fun of a lot, though, right? First of all, just saying the phrase Avengers assemble, what the hell does that mean? He didn't say Avengers charge. He said Avengers assemble. And he like yells out, Avengers assemble. It's like nobody heard him. I guarantee you Thor didn't hear him say it either. Assemble. What? Wouldn't it be funny if like out that part, everybody's just like kind of drop their weapons and say, what? What do you, what do you say, Cap? What do you, say? Are you okay? Your throat get, you, you know, Thanos punch your throat? It's just one of the things that I always make fun of. But I still love the moment, right? Made everybody cheer. It's great. Why not? All right, next up. Anonymous viewer writes, even T'Challa, RIP, had the decency to hold back as in 
as in Infinity War, we both set off in front to lead the charge. Oh, this is Steve Rogers part three. Okay. Forgot to put in your name there. In front to lead charge. But this, but uh, but this was tired. I know I was not the battle cry you wanted. Boy, you gotta work on your spelling. I know it was not the battle cry you wanted. I hope you take on board my explanation. Always your fan, truly Steve. Well, thank you so much for that, Steve. And no, that's not a good explanation, but I appreciated the effort anyway. And again. It just, it created a moment, right? It created a moment, an important moment that totally worked and made everybody excited, but still one I will make fun of probably for the rest of my days, even though I totally love the scene and I love the way it played out. And I cheered as hard as anybody when he said Avengers assemble or Avengers assemble, um, made me cheer as hard as anybody else, but it is what it is. It's kind of like the stormtroopers can't hit a moving target down a narrow hallway, that's, it's kind of what it is. You still got to call. Like, it's okay for us as fans to call out the preposterous things, the things we love do sometimes. It's okay. We're, we as fans are allowed to do that. And I, uh, I kind of think that way. Anyway, thanks for writing that in. All right. John Klobuchar writes, I love how Moff Gideon was willing to kill himself instead of facing Luke Skywalker. You could clearly see the terror in his eyes. Yeah. There's, but I don't think... I don't think he was about to kill himself because he was afraid of Luke Skywalker. He's clearly afraid of Luke Skywalker, right? He knew the moment he saw that X-Wing, he knew he was screwed. He knew his dark troopers were going to be of no help. He knew he was done. But it's not that I'm so afraid of Luke, I'd rather kill myself. Nah, he knows Luke is a good guy. He's a hero. He killed himself because of the same reason he had uh, Tolliver kill himself in the episode with Bo-Katan earlier in the season, right? We need reinforcements. We won't be able to get them to you in time. You know what to do. And it kills the other guys and then kills himself because he can't be taken hostage. He can't be taken prisoner. And he knew, Moff Gideon knew, he was a high-value target. He's got all the information. And he does not want the information he has to get into the hands of the New Republic. So to me, it wasn't a matter of him trying to take the coward's way out. It's like, I'm so scared of Luke Skywalker. I'm going to kill myself. That wasn't it. It was, I can't be taken. And now that Luke Skywalker's here, because right up until that moment, he was totally convinced they were still going to win. Before that X-Wing showed up, Moff Gideon was completely convinced he was going to win the day still. So he was all good until he saw the X-Wing. And once the X-Wing showed up, then he knew we're not going to win. When the X-Wing showed up, he knew I am going to be taken into custody. This Cara Dune, Marshal of the New Republic, is going to truly take me in alive. And they're going to get information out of me. Information that I cannot allow to fall into the hands. When he saw the X-Wing show up, he knew he had a choice. I either, for the glory of the empire, kill myself so they can't get into my information or save my own life and give up the information. And he chose to try to kill himself. To me, that's why he tried to knock himself off. That's just my take on that, John. All right, next up, Koa1708 writes, I've always wondered... Uh, why stars attend premieres of movies that they're not in? Is it because they're friends of the people who are in it? Their agents tell them to attend for publicity. It's a great honor. 
It's, it's just that. So listen, if you're a big movie fan uh, and you get invited to a premiere, that is a high honor. And you go. Of course you go. And by the way, I'm sure they don't always go. I'm sure there are a lot of big stars at times who get invited to premieres and they either not interested and they don't go or they can't go because they're shooting some other movie somewhere. But yeah, if you're a big fan of a if you hey, listen, and if you're an actor or a producer or director, you love the movies. You love the movies. And you're probably friends with a lot of the people. Listen, it's 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 a community, right? Hollywood is also a community. Not always the healthiest community, but it's a big community nonetheless. And chances are, if you're a, a big producer, director, or actor in Hollywood, and there's a big premiere of a movie going on, you probably know or have worked with one of the other producers, directors, or actors in that movie. And to be invited to go to be at that, of course you go. Why wouldn't you? Now, I've been to a lot of these premieres. I've been to a lot of premieres, and they are certainly fun. Um... They're not as thrilling. I'll be honest with you. They are not as thrilling as you might think, especially after you've been to after you've been to four or five or six of them. They're not that thrilling anymore, but there's still something you look forward to. And it's like, totally like when I get invited to go to a premiere, I absolutely go. I absolutely go. But I will also admit I don't jump up and down and freak the hell out. Like the very first time I was invited to a legitimate Hollywood premiere. I think it was a universal film it was the first one I ever got invited to anyway. And I still remember the first three, four or five, I just freaked out. But after that, it's just going, but still, if you know somebody who's in it or it's a movie you're, you're interested in, or it's with a studio that you work with and you get invited, why wouldn't you go? Of course you'd go. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with publicity as well. Like for instance, whenever there was a Marvel premiere, the cast of agents of shield was always there. And I think I can't prove this. And they've never, when I've talked to the, the publicity people, they've never confirmed my suspicions. Listen, everybody knows I don't like agents of shield. I wanted to like it. I was excited for it. I love Clark Gregg, love him. And I love the Agent Coulson character. So I wanted to love this show, but I didn't. I, I find it to be quite a bad show, to be frank with you. Even if uh, uh, Ming-Na Wen is fantastic in it, even if Clark Gregg is fantastic in it, overall, I thought it was a badly written show and I didn't like it. Is what it is. Just because I like Marvel doesn't mean I'm going to automatically like anything they put out. And I think Marvel knew how much I disliked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because every freaking premiere I would go to for a Marvel premiere, I was always sitting right in the middle of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. And I think they did it on purpose. Can't prove that. I can't back that up with any evidence, but I think they did it on purpose. But anyway, so when you get to these Marvel premieres, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. be there because it would help promote the show too. You see them on the red carpet being interviewed, blah, blah, blah. Also, you know, when I'd be at like a Warner Brothers premiere, other Warner properties, stars of some like, even if some Warner Brothers television stuff would be there sometimes too. It is also an opportunity to promote their stuff, to piggyback on the popularity of the movie being premiered. So he gives them another opportunity there too. But I think it's a mix of things. There's these actors and celebrities, they're people too, and they're movie fans. And they know somebody. So if you had a friend who had a big movie premiere and they invited you, wouldn't you go? Of course you would. So yeah, I, I think that has more to do with it, Koa. All right, next up. 
Uh, Checkmate Nine Moves writes, uh, top five all time. Number five, Memento. I do love Memento. Uh, beautiful way of telling a story. Number four, Leon the Professional. Amazing. Uh, number three, that's the the first movie I ever saw Padme in. First movie I ever saw her in. Uh, number three, V for Vendetta. Also had Padme in it. Uh, Hugo puts on a clinic in acting, or at least his voice does. Uh, number two, Gangs of New York, Scorsese, DiCaprio, Danny Day-Lewis, duh. Number one, Return of the King, greatest achievement of film. Yeah, I... 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 <laughs> Lord of the Rings Return of the King is not my all-time favorite movie. I desperately love it, but it's not my all-time favorite movie. But I do believe, I've said this before, that when you consider all of the disciplines of the movie-making art that goes into making a movie, writing, directing, uh, camera, cinematography, costume designs, um, uh, everything else that you can name, when you consider uh, visual effects, blah, blah, blah. When you consider all the dozen or more and or more of them disciplines of filmmaking that go into making a movie, I have never seen one movie where every single one of the disciplines was hit at the top mark. The music, like everything about that movie was hit completely out of the park. And that's why it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and swept, won all 11 categories it was nominated for, including Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Direction. I mean, it, it just won every single thing it was nominated for. And I agree. I consider it to be the greatest achievement in film. It's not my all-time number one film, but it is, I think, the overall greatest achievement. That's just the way I think. All right. Chris FPV writes, hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, you put out amazing content. So I've been watching you for years. Thank you so much, man. Uh, just wondering if anybody has figured out what R2-D2 said to Grogu in season two, episode eight. Thanks again and keep up the great work. That's, you know what? That is something I'd never even thought about. Well, well first of all, I'm just going to assume that baby Yoda didn't understand what he was. He was saying, but maybe he did. But I would be very interested I, I'll be honest with you, Chris. I'm glad you asked that because I have literally given that question no thought. No thought. What did R2 say to Baby Yoda when he came in? Because now that I think about it, it almost seems like when R2 rolled in and was, it almost seemed to calm Baby Yoda a little bit. So maybe there was something important there i like i said i never even gave it any thought i would now love to hear john favreau address this or adam mckay one of the two just what, what was it that r2 said to baby yoda now i want to know i hadn't thought about it all and now all of a sudden i want to know thanks a lot for putting that in there man all right uh let's see uh today is the four-year anniversary of campia knapsack versus witwer and prince jr one of the few star wars trivia contests you have ever lost on camera uh you and witwer on are one and one because you beat him at celebration where is campia versus witwer three god damn it well listen let's be clear i am two and oh i am not one and one against witwer i am two and oh against witwer ken knapsack and i actually won that match for those of you who don't know anything about the match, it was a team Star Wars match. Me and Ken Knapsack versus Freddie Prince Jr. and Sam Witwer. Um, both of them amazing people, by the way. Both of them absolutely tremendously amazing people who I who I will just in play acting give a very hard time to a lot, but they're actually both fantastic. Anyway, that said, for those of you who know what happened is the 
the match ended in a tie. And then we went to overtime. And then in overtime, Ken and I lost in overtime. But here's the problem. When they went back and watched the the match again, Freddie Prinze uh, got one of the answers wrong. And it was acknowledged, oh yeah, no, that's incorrect. But the scorekeeper gave them the point. So he got it wrong and they said he got it wrong. It's not like he got it wrong, but they, the judges said, oh yes, correct. And then we found out after, no, no, no. He got a question wrong. Judges say, yeah, okay, got that wrong, wrong. But the scorekeeper gave them the point and nobody noticed until afterwards. And so when the regulation ended, Ken and I actually won. We were, it wasn't Ty because they had accidentally given him a point that he didn't actually get. And it wasn't an official problem. It was just the scorekeeper accidentally gave them, put up a point for him. And so when regulation ended, we were tied, but really it wasn't tied. Ken and I won period. So in matches with me and Whitworth, I am actually two and oh, I just want to make sure that's clear. And everybody understands that in the world. And if Sammy would ever like another run at the King, he's more than welcome to take a run at the King. Um, but anyway, that, that being said, uh, I, I don't think that will ever happen again though. Uh, I, I just don't have time at all to, to participate in, uh, Christian's doing a great job, by the way, Christian's doing a great job of, uh, doing his movie trivia schmodown stuff. He really is terrific, terrific job. I simply do not have time to participate in any of the stuff that they're doing. You know, Christian and I even talked about maybe me do, because I, one of the things I loved about movie trivia showdown was calling the matches. Uh, I, Christian and I have talked all the time about him. He and I talk, calling the matches together and how much fun that was. And it was, it was a lot of fun, but I don't even have time to do that. I, I don't even have time to do that, unfortunately. So un- it is unfortunate. We'll probably never see, uh, Campia V, you will probably never get the chance to see me beat Sam Witwer again. But I mean, do we have to? I've already beat him twice. I've already beat him twice. So anyway, there's that. And and by the way, Sam Witwer's a beast, man. He's absolutely a beast. All right, next up. Uh Mikey Roberts Meyer Burnett writes. John, great movie. Plug it. You're comp- oh, you're talking about my documentary. Thank you again for that. I appreciate that. Uh, put in your comp- uh, in your companion video. You said you didn't think Luke will do many cameos. John Favreau had already said on Good Morning America they have more for Mark Hamill to do. You also discussed uh, MMA show Kingdom. I checked. It's great. Great reviews. Ninety percent of Rotten Tomatoes. True. Yeah. I be- listen. I I I was very clear. I don't highly doubt that we won't see a cameo or two from Luke here and there. I just don't think they have major plans for him. I I just don't think they have major plans for him. If you had major plans for Luke, and this goes back to one of the questions we talked about at the beginning part of the video. I think if you had major plans for Luke, then instead of doing a CGI Luke Skywalker face, you just get an actor in. You do the CGI Luke Skywalker face if you only have small things for him to do. If you either A, A, have nothing more for him to do, or B, you just have small things for him to do later that you can still use a CGI face. If you have actual big plans for the character, 
then you get an actor, right? I, I think they would have brought in an actor for Mandalorian season two finale. And no, I don't buy the whole, oh, they were just kind of slowly transitioning. No, no, no. I, I don't think they're doing that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, again, I don't think that contradicts what John Favreau was saying. I think that actually enforces what John Favreau was saying. But again, that's not any insider information for me. That's just me, like every other fan, just kind of speculating a little bit. All right. We only got time for a couple more here, guys. Let's go to A3 who writes, why do people say that John and or Dave shouldn't uh, should run Lucasfilm? I mean, does John even want to? Seems more like a creator and director first. And Dave could be uh, higher creatively, but has no business running a vast film studio that is more than just Star Wars. Well, listen, here's the thing. It is with let's start with the Dave Filoni part. Dave Filoni. Um has made a couple of shows that a lot of fans really love and cherish, right? Clone Wars. I'm not a big fan of Clone Wars, to be honest with you, but a lot of people are. And Rebels. I am a big fan of Rebels, and a lot of other people are as well. And we as fans have this totally bad perception that if you're great at one thing, that means you'd be great at another thing too. And 95% of the time, we're totally wrong about that. Even in professional sports, there are very few examples, not none, but very few examples of a truly great player going on later to have a truly great coaching career. It's rare. It's rare. Even the great one, the greatest hockey player of all time, Wayne Gretzky, didn't have a great going of it as a head coach, right? Um, it's not that it's never happened. It's just that it's very rare. Because being a great player is different than being a coach. Dave Filoni had done, even though I didn't like Clone Wars, the fact of the matter is a lot of the audience did, and that's important. So he did two shows that were very popular with Star Wars fans, but they were animated. He had never, so a lot of people are saying, Dave Filoni should direct the next big Star Wars movie. It's like he had never, he's never directed. Like he's never been on set of a movie and sat in a director's chair and actually directed a film. He's never done that before. And that was kind of, he himself, this is the, nothing made me in the world more than Rebels, more than anything else. The thing that made me gain a world of respect for, for Dave Filoni was in the Mandalorian season one making of documentary that they have on Disney Plus. When they show him on set of the first episode he was going to directing and he looks at the camera and he goes, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Thank God I have John Favreau here to mentor me because I, I have, I, I don't know what I'm doing. In that moment, because there are a lot of people in the filmmaking business and in the television making business who, because they have a couple of big animated shows under the belt, they may think they're big shit and they may think they already know everything. And to me, when you think you already know everything, you limit your growth. You limit to how high you can go. To me, when Dave Filoni 
looked at the camera and said, I have no idea what I'm doing. Thank goodness I have da- I have John Favreau here. To me, that was the first time I ever looked at, I mean, I said this out loud looking at the TV and I said, he, Dave Filoni, is going to be not a good, a great live action director someday. He is not going to be a good live action director. He is going to be a great live action director. Why? He already understands the fundamentals of just storytelling, but with having the attitude of, I don't know anything and I completely need to learn, having that learner's spirit, having a learning spirit eradicates your ceilings and your limits. It just blows the limits and your ceilings away. It means there is literally no limit to how good you can be when you take ego aside and and say, forget that I may have done good in that thing. I don't know what I'm doing here. I need to learn. That means you are going to soak up experience. You're going to soak up knowledge and you, there's the sky's the freaking limit. And I've said on the show, after seeing that, I said, you watch, he is going to always get better. But again, getting back to your question here, does that mean he's a great company executive? No, it does not. I'm not saying Dave Filoni couldn't be a good executive. There's nothing that says he's excluded from maybe being, but there is not being able to make a great cartoon show like Rebels or being able to improve as a director in a live action director from season one to season two of Mandalorian. And I thought we saw a a very palatable improvement in his directing from season one to season two. And I expect that's only going to get better. As I said, I think the sky's the limit for him. That is a completely different thing than being an executive of a company. Um, and I, I just don't see any reason. I, I see no reason to believe that he could be good at that job. It's a totally different job. John Favreau, on the other hand, he is showing to me that he is an executive. And I, and I go back again to that Mandalorian season one documentary. You literally saw him as the captain. He wasn't just directing episodes of a show. He was stepping back and picking directors to direct episodes of the show. And he was guiding the whole thing and he was mentoring them and setting the tone for it. And now not only is he doing that for Mandalorian, he's also going to be doing it for multiple properties. He's going to be, he's going to be overseeing, um, uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano that I think he's going to have Filoni right, which is great. Cause if Dave Filoni knows anything, it's his, one singular obsession character, uh, Soka Tano, that even I am looking forward to watching this show now. But he's running uh, Rangers of the New Republic. He's overseeing Boba Fett, and he's overseeing Mandalorian Season 3. He is now over... He's basically doing the job now of a studio executive on a smaller level. And yeah, after I saw that documentary series, I'm like, John Favreau could be the next head of Lucasfilm. He could totally do this. He can be the Kevin Feige type executive for Lucasfilm, creatively being control of the overall direction of everything, picking his directors, making sure everything stays on thing and be the executive and the admiral running the whole ship. 
I totally believe he can be that Kevin Feige kind of guy. I really do. I'm not saying he's the only choice to do it next. They could come up with somebody else. They will likely come up with somebody to succeed uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who we've never even heard of before. Probably. I mean, nobody ever heard of Kevin Feige when he took over Marvel. But I totally believe again, Dave Filoni, no. Sometime in the future, maybe. But John Favreau right now, I could totally see it. I could totally see it. All right. One last question here, guys, and then we'll wrap it up today because it is Christmas Eve and I have some uh, some things I need to attend to. All right. The Wakanda Forever writes, oh, and tips in like $25. Thank you, Wakanda Forever, for supporting the channel on the Oval Man. I really appreciate that. Writes, was that a pool I saw? Looks like this internet thing is working out pretty good. Us geeks are coming up in the world. Sasha Banks and now this. Seriously, congratulations. And thanks for helping the family at Christmas. Just a little extra happy holidays. Well, thank you for that, Wakan Forever. Now, the family he's talking about, of course, is that uh, every year at Christmas time, Ann and I have a tradition, and we promote it every year to try to encourage other people to get involved in this as well. Ann and I participate every year in a program called Adopt a Family. And most cities in America and Canada have these. Uh, all you got to do is call your local city government and ask for, you know, who's coordinating Adopt-A-Family this Christmas. And basically what Adopt-A-Family is, they have families that the city works with that are in need right now or having a tough time, whatever, and they need some help. And they don't really have the means right now to give their family a Christmas. And so it's not changing the world kind of stuff. But then what the city will do is they will match you up with a family that's in need. And then you communicate with the family and find out what their particular needs are and what their kids like and stuff like that. And then what Ann and I do is we go out and buy presents for their kids and we try to get something for the parents as, as well. Sometimes it's, it's single moms or a single dad in one case. And we try to get something for them as well. And on then we arrange a day and then we go and give that family a Christmas that day. It is an easy thing to do. It's not tremendously expensive to do. And we talk about it every year because I just, I see, I'm not going to cry, but the reactions, it's a little thing. I know it's a little thing, but when you go and are able to give that to a family, um, you see how much it means actually to them. For a single mom uh, to have a kid who wasn't going to get anything for Christmas to open up something that they love and light up and whatever to that mom, that's the world. And you can give that to a family. You can give that to a family. You can give that to struggling parents or a single mom or a single dad who wants nothing more in the world than to see their kids smile on Christmas. You can give them that. So every year we encourage everybody, and we talked about it this year too, no different. Go sign up for it. Get a couple of friends together and pitch in on it. Anyway, so what we did, what Ann and I did this year was we invited people, listen, if it's too late for you to go and sign up to do it yourself, if you want to pitch in for Ann and I, we'll take the stuff that we got for this one family. And if you guys want to pitch in too, Use the super chat badge feature. Just use the bad badge feature and we'll take everything from that day and we'll put it in. And you guys contributed hundreds of dollars. We were able to get a better laptop for this, uh, for this girl for school. Uh, we were able to get this, a, a really good sized Walmart gift card. And the reason we picked Walmart is because it allows them to get groceries and clothes and anything else a family may need. We were able to put hundreds onto that because of what you guys did. 
And, you know, Ann and I went yesterday and did our meetup with that family. And they, they live in public housing right now. Like in a, they live in a shelter right now. And half the time they don't feel safe in the shelter. It's a mom with, with two kids. They don't feel safe in the shelter. So while they're in there, some of the times, a lot of the times they're just living in their car. And, uh, in as much as we all bitch and moan and complain me worst of all in a world where a lot of us bitch and moan and complain when we really have no legitimate effing reason to bitch and moan and complain, there are people who have it much worse and the ability to go and give something. We didn't change our lives. We just gave them something. You guys gave them something. It's, it's a huge deal. And that's why every Christmas, uh, we promote this program and we try to get as many of you guys. And I've gotten a lot of emails from you guys who did get friends together and you all pitched in and you did adopt a family. And that's awesome uh, that you did that. So uh, thank you to everybody who helped um, that family have a, a Christmas this year. So thank you to all you guys who contributed when we asked for that and you did, and it was great. And, uh, and thank you for that. And that seems like a good point for us to wrap up today guys uh there are still a lot of questions to go but uh, i'm gonna have to do another companion video this weekend sometime so keep your eyes open for another companion video this weekend we will get caught up i promise but uh, right now this one's gone almost an hour and a half and i it's christmas eve i got some things i got to run and do hey guys thank you so much for being here and uh and and spending some of your time hanging with us again I hope you guys have a fabulous Christmas Eve, a fabulous Christmas. Uh, thank you for being a part of the show. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in all these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campbell channel from myself and, and Rob and uh, Ray and on and Aaron. Thank you guys very, very much uh, for that support. Anyway, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day. We will be back this weekend with another companion video. Also, keep your eyes open for when we're going to do our Wonder Woman 84 open spoiler discussion. We're going to do that as well. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, Merry Christmas.